You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. Welcome back to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This is episode 23. I'm going to get on my hands and knees today, and I'm going to ask all of you to please follow us on social media. The Gay Florida Man podcast has its own Instagram page, its own Facebook page, its own Twitter page, and we have really been working hard to bulk up our YouTube page where you will see videos corresponding to the things that we have talked about in the podcast, as well as things that are going to be coming up in future episodes of the podcast. The YouTube page is amazing. You're going to see some great stuff. I finally put on the entire China buffet. The movie that I made in 2006 with a group of amazing friends. It is actually in its entirety. It's broken up into seven parts because it is on YouTube. But you want to check that out. I know that we are going to be talking about that more in the future, but I've already talked about it. I know in episode 14 when I talked to Vaughn, but you'll definitely want to check that out. Also, you can see the recruitment video that was shelved for a while under a certain administration that I worked for at the Department of Corrections. And nobody has seen it for years, and now it's on there. Also, lots of training videos that I filmed for the department, my personal videos. Please check it out. The next time that Robbie and I do a movie review, we are going to be talking about Hannibal. So that's going to be coming up very soon as well. On episode 24 for next week, I'm going to give a different perspective than what I normally do with talking to different staff and medical people and all the different areas of the state prison. We're going to go to the other side of the bars. I've never talked with somebody that has served time inside the state prison, and you'll want to be checking that out on episode 24. But for today, I'm bringing in a very close friend. And we have a lot more in common than just working together at the state prison. This woman has been by my side for years, so easy to talk to, has a huge heart, and we both happen to be gay. So joining me is Melissa. How are you, Melissa? I am fantastic. How are you? It was so awesome seeing you on my trip back to Utah. That oh was my gosh. that was epic to actually hug you and see you and sit down and talk. I might be a little hesitant today because I've I've got this weird sore on my tongue, and I knew in that truck stop I shouldn't have trusted that <laughs> cock. It was a weird little module or a little wart or something that was oozing, and I knew I shouldn't have put that one on my anyways uh, long I, I thought you were talking a little funny there that yeah yeah each other <laughs> I thought you'd become used to it because you know a lot of times I'm with somebody when we're talking and I've got my mouth full but yes. I thought you've gotten used to it by now <laughs> <laughs> this is I, the I gay feel, Florida man yes absolutely I, I feel for you <laughs> being the um the only lesbian of eight children of my family and all of my sisters or siblings had their tongues clipped as children and so I always kind of made fun of my mom and said, geez, thanks. The only lesbian in the family and you, and you left her tongue tied. So, <laughs> so I, I did take care of that. The dentist this past year, which was a quite a great experience. <laughs> you had that many siblings? I had, Yes, I'm the youngest of eight. I don't remember you telling me that, but it's been so long. How long have we known each other, Melissa? Oh, my gosh. Probably since 98, I want to say. When did you start? 96, 98? I started in 97. I graduated June 30th of 97. 86 was the academy class, and it's Courage Never Quits was our logo. 
Ah. Our motto. Well, do you remember what yours was? You know, I've been racking my brains trying to figure out what mine was. And quite honestly, I do not remember. <laughs> you know, that's probably a healthy thing because you've been now retired for a couple of years. I've been retired for five. Yeah. And when that starts to happen, I think that's really a good thing. Yep. Yeah. As, yep, as yep. you start to forget about a lot of that. I mean, of course, we have each other. We have our friends and the camaraderie of working in that place was amazing. And you have friends for the rest of your life. But uh, there are certain things that I think are healthy to let go of. Yes. So it's it's not <laughs> a bad sure. thing. As, as we were talking earlier today and, of course, last week. It's weird because we have like a connection. And of course, episode one, I talked with another lesbian friend that, from the prison, Barbie. But long before I met Barbie, you were one of the first people that, that I came out to because we were working at the Olympus facility. <laughs> mm -hmm. why, why are you now? Listen, there was nothing <laughs> funny in that statement. And you're already laughing, Melissa. I, I am. That, that was an epic evening, I have to say. <laughs> so every every evening, every evening working with you is epic. That I mean, that's the those are the, <laughs> the best kind. memories that I have is going home and my face just hurting from <laughs> laughing at of all the just the stupid shit we had to deal with that day and just how much fun we had, just keeping each other safe and keeping each other healthy mentally was that was the best part. My my best memories of working in Olympus with you was just the amazing stories that we'll we'll share and definitely that night was was quite the epic coming out story i think correct me if i'm wrong i know that i had told tony kishelish mm -hmm. out front of the building bring me back you tell me your version because i i don't remember i just remember tony looking at me he would give me that look and he just assumed i was fucking with him Right. And I always did too. So I just always mm -hmm. kind of blew off your comments. And so, <laughs> you know, cause I'm like, Look, I'm no gay, way. I'm gay, just because you're obsessed, right. Just because you're obsessed with Ricky Martin and Tina Turner. And you know, that's what we danced to in the control room. Many, many evenings. <laughs> I didn't, a, I didn't, <laughs> I that, never that put two and two flag. together. That wasn't uh, a red flag. That wasn't <laughs> a rainbow flag at that point. Well, you know, sometimes I put these pieces of wool over my eyes and, and okay. don't see things, but I I never assumed. I, I don't know. That was a, a fantastic evening. I, I believe it was, it's kind of started with Ricky Martin in the control room and you were telling me how obsessed you were and, and, uh, you know, we started talking about things and you had said, you know, I'm gay and I'm like, the fuck you are it, bullshit. You know, and you're like, no, I'm serious. Like, I'm like, no, you're not. Like, stop, stop messing around. No, I'm serious. So I'm trying to remember if it was you or, excuse me, me and Tony Kishlish walked out front of Olympus and uh, you started showing me some photos of a young man that you were seeing from Canada. Okay. Which point, <laughs> which point I still didn't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> like, he's putting a lot of work into this practical joke. Yeah, you know, and, and you do. You love to, uh, you know, take things to the extreme, so. Um, <laughs> the story of my life. <laughs> right, absolutely. And I think from there, I mean, I, I still didn't believe you, and you're like, well, I'm going to meet him tonight. I'm, what do you mean you're going to meet him tonight? You're, Yeah, we're going to meet him and i said well i'm going with you we ended up in canada the next morning that we drove in a snowstorm <laughs> the second trip was where you and your girlfriend at the time we had worked all night we worked a 12-hour shift and then we got in my subaru and of course there's like a snowstorm in utah and idaho mm -hmm. i had gone up and i met him like December, like Christmas time yeah. in Vancouver. Mm -hmm. And it was the second trip that I told you right before that trip then. Yes. Yeah. Cause you were planning wow. on going. And of course, you know, me not believing you, you're like, well, let's go. Wow. So that's, that's exactly what we did. And we ended up on this amazing road trip to Vancouver to finish your coming out story. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, as I look back and we talk about coming out, it's interesting because I had gone to see a therapist. I didn't know that we were going to get this far into this tonight, 
uh, on this podcast. But since we're there and I want to actually have a very authentic podcast, I'm going to tell my story. I had come to terms with the fact because I had dated a woman and uh, that didn't work. That just, Mm -hmm. I was under the impression it's like, well, if you just start dating a woman and you have sex with a woman, then you will see the light. Right. And you will understand you'll come around. And so I ended up dating a woman for about a year. I didn't see the light. I actually wanted to see the black hole is what I wanted to see. <laughs> right. But <laughs> I was not into, and I realized that it was it's sad. And it's like, you start to realize by doing that, by trying to accommodate everybody else and society and not being real, you are putting other people through a lot of hell. Because they're wondering what they're doing wrong in a relationship. And I came to terms with this. And I said, you know, you just got to realize that you're gay. And so I went to this therapist. uh, Her last name was Voorhees, which is kind of ironic because I love Friday the 13th. (laughs) And and the guy that, that actually did the hernia surgery years later, I think 2007, his last name was Voorhees. And I was like, hey, do you know a, a woman named Voorhees? And I had explained it. And he's like, uh, I've heard of her or I, I've met her. He was very generalized with his response. And I had gone back and told her and she's just staring at me. And I'm like, what's wrong? And she's like, that's my ex-husband. <laughs> I'm like, wow. <laughs> well, and she was pissed. Just I sidetrack, I digress. But I had gone to her and she had made me write a letter. And she said, write a letter to your mother and come out to your mom but don't send it. I want you to bring it back in next week. So the following week I brought it back and she read this letter and she's like, you hate yourself for being gay. And she read it back. It totally made sense as she kind of broke down the letter in my own words. Mm -hmm. From there, we were able to progress through therapy and she helped me understand kind of like the process of what's going on with me. It was, it was awesome. She was actually a great therapist. Wow. Yeah. And then at that point, it's like, look, this is who you are. You start to live your life. And so I came out into the game a little late because that was 2002, 2001, 2002, that I came out of the closet. For you, since we're talking about coming out, Melissa, what was your story? I, I don't know your story. I don't remember it. And I apologize, but I'd like to, at least if people are listening today, what is your yeah. story about coming out? I, I knew I was different when I was about eight years old. It, it was just a, a different feeling, um, you know, growing up and being in high school and my sisters and my friends all hanging out. And I say hooking up with the boys in the neighborhood. We weren't like into, you know, like massive orgies and whatnot. Just that that teenage stuff that, that sure. you would do. And I always thought that when you're making out with a guy or at that time, yeah, your palms would sweat, your heart would thump, you would, you know, just those, those sexual things that would happen. That would never happen when I would try and kiss a boy. And this is granted, this is probably sixth grade, seventh grade. So, but I always kind of knew I was different and I could never figure out why I'm like, well, why am I thinking these thoughts about the girl next door and not the boys in the neighborhood, which is what you're supposed to be doing and kind of always thought that was strange. So I just kind of pulled back away from doing all that with friends and, and experimenting and, and whatnot. I was working for, uh, I was working at Astro Burger in, in high school. I was working at Astro Burger on the 30, on 39 South and state street. I had no idea because I wasn't old enough. The paper moon was just down the street, which is the Salt Lake city's local lesbian bar. And this couple comes in and one of the guys that I was working with said to me, those are your people. And I'm like, I don't understand what you mean. He's like, well, those are lesbians. Instantly it hit me. I'm like, wow, that's exactly it. And from there, I I just came to terms with it. And I'm like, you are absolutely right. All those feelings of what am I, who am I went away. And I'm like, that's exactly who I am. So cool. And that from that day, I, that's how I lived. I, I thought you were going to tell me that while you were working at this burger place that you just had this super duper love of like the fish sandwich. <laughs> Cause I always, Got to. I always, I always liked Wiener schnitzel. <laughs> right. 
the, the real deal always left a bad taste in my mouth, but Wiener Schnitzel always <laughs> tastes really good. Yeah, I, I always regret Wiener, Wiener Schnitzel. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> is that chain even around anymore? It is, actually. Oh, yeah. It absolutely is. <laughs> Just so you know, I'm the same person I've always been. I'm the same person I was when I came out to you in 2001, yep, 2002. Haven't, haven't changed a bit. Once I had come out, and that's that's an amazing story that it was just so fast for you. I, that makes me happy, Melissa, that you mm -hmm. were like aware that quick. Like, yes, this is who I am. And I yeah. wish that I had gone through an easy process like that. Was your family religious? Were they Mormon? Uh, they were not. I mean, oh, okay. they, they were, yes, but not not so heavy into it that I was afraid to say anything. And I and I didn't. I didn't say anything for years. Um, my mom basically told me, you know, maybe don't tell your dad. Okay. Um, and I mean, and I didn't for years, but I mean, eventually I came out to him, you know, years later, but, and his response was, you know, I knew that as long as you're happy then. And it oh, was that's just, great from there. I mean, my whole family was just very accepting and it was just very natural for me. And I know so many people have had, you know, such negative experiences mm -hmm. with it. Yeah. For me, it just was once I was like that you're right. That's my people. And that's who I am. And I just stopped battling. I stopped battling my insides of who am I? What am I doing? Why? It was like, well, cool. I have an answer. Thank you. <laughs> it's interesting. Cause when I had told my mom, I had, I had like prepped my mom and I had called her and I said, look, I, I had been working out, get into the gay scene. So I lost a ton of weight. I don't know if you remember that. Mm -hmm. And, yeah, um, uh, yeah, I was I was working out, getting ready to get into the dating scene with the gentleman up in Canada. I had called my mom, and she knew I'd lost a bunch of weight. And I said, look, there's something I got to tell you, but I'm not ready to tell you yet. The next day, she called me, and she's like, look, I didn't sleep at all last night. Like, are you okay? Like, is, is something going on with you medically? And her mind was racing, thinking I'd lost all the weight because I had cancer. Yeah. And so I like, oh, I, I can't keep doing this. I just got to tell her. So I told her and I said, yeah, well, look, I'm gay. And she's like, oh, is that it? Like, that's fine. You know, <laughs> I mean, you know, I had an idea and I figured it out. And, you know, kind of like you, it's like, I know you want to have sex with Ricky Martin. And <laughs> <Right>. so, <laughs> so she was totally accepting and understanding. And then like a week later, my sister calls me and is like, mom's in therapy. <laughs> So, so I worked that into the storyline of the China buffet because I thought that was just, that was too good. That was just too amazing. It, it was just so comedic. It was funny. But my one brother had called me and he was totally cool because my family had all worked in like the restaurant industry. They'd worked around people that were gay and it's like, they're fun. They're great. They're funny. And my brother said, did you hear about the gay dwarf? And I said, no, I, I haven't. He goes, he came out of the cupboard. And so, and we just kind of laughed, had our, our little moment and it was cool. It was fine. Yeah. They were totally accepting. My mom, I think has come to terms with it. They are both, my parents are very, very Roman Catholic. So I think they accepted as much as they can, but I think, you know, that they still have their traditions and the time that they were raised, but they are very caring. They're loving parents. They're wonderful. So yeah, it's, it was a different time. And I look, and I was just talking to somebody the other day, and I said, it, it makes me so happy. I don't know if you saw on the social media page for the Gay Florida Man on Instagram and on the Gay Florida Man Facebook, I chased down this truck that I saw in, in traffic, Melissa. And it was like a Nissan SUV painted orange with the zero one on the door, like the Dukes of Hazard. Mm -hmm. But on the back of it, it had a big logo and it said the Dykes of Hazard. Yeah, I, I did see that on your page. Yeah. Absolutely so I amazing. Yeah, I chased this woman down and she probably thinks I'm just this fucking weirdo and I'm waving like, <laughs> please, can I take a picture? Can I take a picture? And she finally relented and pulled over, probably calling 911. Like, I got this fucking weirdo. She was very sweet, very nice girl. Young, young lesbian. But I think it's so great that we're in a time period now where somebody like in their 20s can come out of the closet and then put that the dikes of hazard on the back of their truck and be proud about it. Right. That's right. amazing. Yeah. That's really cool. I'm, I'm, that makes me happy. Yeah. That really does make me happy. 
so back back to Olympus. Now we're both gay. We're in Utah, <laughs> like the most conservative state in the United States. Mm-hmm. And we're working in a prison. We're working for government. That's kind of amazing anyways. And then we end up working together. And of course, we become very good friends. We do this this road trip to Canada, which is amazing in a snowstorm. I don't know, you know, what we were thinking, but we did it. It was fun. <laughs> and then we shared some of the best memories, like you had said, some of the best memories that I have at the state prison are working with you and of course working with Tony. We had so much fun. We, in that yeah, building. we really did. We had talked earlier that it, the building that we worked in that's Olympus, it used to be the women's unit. Yes. And then they decided to do this mental health unit. We're going to bring all the people with mental illness. We're going to have nurses 24-7 inside the building. We're going to have doctors on call. And we're going to be at the forefront of handling mental illness in a correctional facility, which I think is brilliant. Absolutely. Because when you work with the mentally ill, they can be very challenging and you really sometimes don't even have time to sit down, but they will give you some of the greatest stories. And oh, absolutely. A, lot of, a lot of times it can be very frustrating and we experience that whole thing together. When somebody says Olympus to you, Melissa, who's the first person that you think of? And names, uh, names have been changed to protect the innocent or the guilty. Um, <laughs> God bless them. Absolutely. You know, Mark, I mean, quite honestly, my first memories are, are you. You and Tony Kipwish. <laughs> and I know that we, we went through hell and back in that building. The camaraderie, the relationship that I think even the three of us, and there's more involved you know, more staff involved uh, as well that we worked with. You and Tony helped me through some of the roughest times being there. And and that's what I remember most. You know, Olympus was an extremely difficult, difficult facility to work in. And and I think because I felt that you, myself and, and Tony all had the same heart, the same compassion you know, Officer Sonny, and I've, I've heard your your uh, podcast with him as well, the same way. You, the three of you taught me how to survive working in that building. Honest, I'm not, you know, saying that to pat you on the back, which I, I do. I absolutely thank you because with some of the things that we dealt with there, I mean, that's how I survived was the compassion that you guys taught me and how to be compassionate with that type of offender that we had to work with, which was the most difficult in the prison ever. They could be the most difficult. They could give you so much challenge, but there's such reward. Absolutely. Working with people that are mentally ill, diagnosed mental illness. Every shift was unpredictable. Right. You might have a shift where you sit back and you watch YouTube videos all night long. Right. And, And then there's another shift where you have multiple people attempting suicide. And we talked about this earlier and I want to get to that with you because you went through a lot more in Olympus. Your job was a lot more challenging in some of the experiences that you had so much more than me, Melissa. Yeah. Because when you do work with the mentally ill, then there's a higher risk of people attempting to hurt themselves. Right. I mean, there was a, a period of time when it was, that's all that was it months of just going through stopping offenders from hurting themselves or hurting others and very, very rough time. And you had told me that unfortunately, and this is the the one thing that you're always scared of is that somebody completes a suicide Mm -hmm. and you had multiple incidents where people ended up passing away. Yeah. Too many to count, you know, and, and, and I'm sure you know, as we go through these stories and we and we laugh about some of the experiences that we went through, that I mean, that was our coping mechanism, you know, to to be able to survive through just day after day after day of of dealing with that kind of behavior and you know seeing some of the things that we've seen. You definitely see human beings when they are cornered, they can do some pretty crazy things, or when they're mentally ill or if they're on drugs and. Right. You know, when it becomes your normal daily 
job to go in. And I remember, and I had talked to you earlier about coming on shift at six o'clock in the morning and just in the parking lot, I know something's wrong. Right. Because like an ambulance is there or there's a bunch of administrators' cars there. You know your day is going to fucking suck. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, you go in and you go into control and all the people from the previous shift are there. And there's all these people you don't even know. And somebody, Salt Lake County would do the investigations for death inside the, the prison, typically. Mm -hmm. And so you go in and you see these people from the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office. And you go into control and there's a body on the floor in the section covered over. I didn't know this, but actually, I'm going to let you tell it, but about the doors and how do you stop inmates? You can't have the inmates gawking at the body. It's just not respectful. So you have a body of somebody that has committed suicide. They've been pronounced dead. They're in the section and the, the body can't be moved because it's an active investigation. So with that, it's the, the human beings. So to preserve their dignity, you know, the, the staff together kind of collaborated and we came up with putting these magnets that would magnetize to the doors over their cell windows. So they weren't sitting there having to watch all this process and see their friend or loved one. I don't know how that works in prison sometimes, um, <laughs> you know, to, to see them in that, in that state. So instead of us getting yelled at for going in and wanting to cover the body with a sheet or, you know, preserve some of that, we just cover the windows. So Definitely. they don't have to see that either. For people that have never been inside a prison or a correctional facility, they make these large pieces. They're flexible. They're like a flexible magnet. Mm -hmm. What they normally had used this material for is you put labels on doors. If you're working inside a maximum security unit or a mental health unit, and you have somebody that every time you drop the cuff port, they throw some type of piss or feces on you, or they try to spit on you, you would label the door. So if you're a utility staff, you normally don't work in that building. You go in, be careful of cell four because there's a label that says spitter. Yeah. And you have to drop the cuff port to give them meds with the nurse. That way you're cautious and you're aware that this person has a tendency to spit. Yeah. And, you know, as a gay man, I always hate the fucking spitters. <laughs> I mean, I, right. I gave you that gift. Now just do your thing. It's protein. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I forgot you're a lesbian. Oh, yes. <laughs> so you had come up with this idea of these large sleeves to go magnetized over the windows to give some respect for the person that passed away. Right. And the right. story that I'm talking about, to give you a little bit of background, this particular individual had murdered his wife. Mm -hmm. And then he had come to prison and I guess had come to the conclusion this was not the life that he wanted. He ended up hanging himself. Unfortunately, the brain was without oxygen too long, what have you, and he was dead. Was that the case or was it before it, Melissa, where they had started these like 15-minute cue checks? So all of that was the magnets and stuff came after. One, because the facility went through... 30 days of just complete chaos of suicides and suicide attempts, just one after the other, after the other. And as a facility trying to figure out how do we, how do we stop this? Our job as correctional officers is to protect themselves from themselves or others. At that point with corrections and lots of collaboration with many folks, I'm sure that they came up with these Q15s that officers had to enter into the section every 15 minutes and physically look at every inmate to make sure that they were safe. I know a lot of staff hated it. I myself hated it. We all, you know, struggled with having to be inside those sections with the mentally ill offenders. Um, in the long run, it, it helped your communication. It helped you build your communication skills. I ended up loving it. I mean, from that point, we were, we were stopping a lot of attempted suicides just because mm -hmm. we were right there. Right. The human brain loses consciousness after three minutes. So when you see an offender hanging, you have about three minutes to be in that cell and have them cut down to have any kind of success of saving their lives. Have you seen the new Jurassic Park? I have not yet. 
Okay, my brain lost consciousness after about 30 seconds. That was the worst piece of shit ever. I'm sorry. I just had to throw that in. I, 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 have, I have heard that. Oh, my God. I was going to be like one of those inmates at Olympus if I'd continue to watch it. But I, I returned the movie to Redbox. So, nice. What a Is it on Redbox yet? God damn, man. I was going to go the way of the dinosaur. I, I think the point. last one was a piece of shit. So It was an award winner. It was an Academy Award winner compared to this new one. My God. When you get off shift, and I know that we had talked about one particular individual that was very, very sad. They knew that he was high risk, and you're given these meals that are specially prepared for people that may attempt to hurt themselves. They cannot have any type of plasticware. They cannot have anything to hurt themselves. And typically they're in this kind of smock that mm -hmm. is stitched every inch so that they cannot try to hang themselves. And they're put in a cell without any type of vent, any type of ridge. They're specially designed cells. And then they have a camera in the cell mm -hmm. so they can be watched from control at all times. But this individual, and I think we may have talked about this on an earlier podcast, part of the meal was a hard boiled egg. Yeah. With no shell. Yep. You had actually worked on that particular day or night. Mm -hmm. Beginning of that story is when that individual came in, I know a lot of people remember names and I don't remember this individual's name, but when he got to Olympus and the first time that I interacted with him and stepped to the cell to talk to him, I'm thinking, what has happened to this poor kid? Like he looked like he'd been hit by a Mack truck both mm -hmm. eyes black and blue and his nose half like sideways and you know, I'm asking medical. I'm like, what happened to this guy? And they're saying that's, and you know, and they tell me that's, these are self-inflicted injuries that he attempted suicide many, many times, which, which is why he is in this particular cell. And the suit that you're describing that we used to call the, the suicide smock, not really kind of understanding a, a whole lot of about, about this offender because he hadn't been there very long multiple attempts of trying to commit suicide through other means, you know, while it was in our care. So, I mean, one particular story, me and another officer were taking him from the medical room where, where he was down to a section for a shower as they're allowed to have showers every other day. We had just pulled him out of the shower. We were on the bottom tier. Well, me and the other officer that was with me lose control of him as he's starting to fight us and we lose control and he runs up the top of these stairs and both this officer and myself looked at each other and was like, holy shit, let's go running up the stairs behind him. And just as he goes to go over to jump off the top tier, we catch him and pull him back over. And of course the fight's on because he's screaming that he wants to die and we're trying to restrain him to get him back to, to that back to the medical cell. Yeah. He was, he was determined to end things and, that's sad. So he, he got hold of this this meal, and then he, he took the egg, hard-boiled egg, no shell, and he wedged it down in his throat and cut off his airway. Yeah, and I believe this was a couple of days later that, yeah, when the mm. officer went to feed him, it sounds like Jurassic Park. Um, <laughs> you know, some, sometimes that's what it felt like as well, but he just took it into his mouth and inhaled in one swoop, and that was, we couldn't, we couldn't law and lodge it from his throat, even though we were standing right there. Again, it was just one of those crazy things that we, we couldn't save him. That's sad. How do you not bring it home, Melissa? Uh, you know, I, again, it's, it's staff. And, and I know a lot of people listening to these podcasts think, you know, we've got to be just pretty fucked up. A lot of it's, we have, we have to laugh about it. You know, we would sit in the control room and, and laugh about how we've done this or how we've done that. And, the laughter really got us through it. <laughs> you know, I mean, some people deal with it differently. I learned to do it just to laugh about stuff because it's not easy to take home. You know, I remember you and I were working in alpha section one time and there was an inmate. And I think that his story was he liked to steal vehicles and he had a <laughs> severe disability and he had a very distinct speech pattern. Yeah, and <laughs> he talked Fuck yeah. and you know but he really liked you melissa he yeah he, he you know he didn't jack off thinking about me oh no he jacked off thinking about you melissa <laughs> 
Let's be clear on that. <laughs> so we were doing pill line. I think that you were with the nurse and he was in that corner cell. He got an ibuprofen, an 800 milligram ibuprofen. And he had taken the pill and your tolerance level towards that guy was very, very low. Yes, I, I had no patience for that man. <laughs> and so he had taken the pill and I was following behind you guys. And you went on your way and I looked in and he still had the pill. He hadn't, they have to take it and then drink something and then open up their mouth to show that they had taken the meds. Yeah. I said, now you, you got to take that. He just stared at me with, he had those, I don't know what you call those eyes. I just call them old blue eyes. One blue this way, one blue that way. Because <laughs> right. they, they look outward. That, that might like have happened an, when he was hit by the car that he rolled out well, of. Yeah. So I don't know the whole story, but I, I think that he had like jumped out of a moving car, got pushed, and then the car ran him over, and he had severe disability. But the guy's kind of smart, though, because <laughs> what he'll do is he'll wait outside of a car wash, and they pull your car out, it's left running, and they look at this guy, and he's not a threat. He's disabled. Right. So then he hobbles over, jumps into your car, and fucking takes off. And then just does the, like the crash derby shit going right down the road, hitting walls and other cars, and totally destroys your car. That's right. what he, he did. That's what yeah. I understood he did. He, he used his appearance to his advantage and his criminal behavior genius in that aspect oh yeah so anyways he didn't take this ibuprofen you had gone up to the top tier and i knew that this guy really liked you and he likes to get a rise out of female officers and i said now look you, you've got to take that med and he just kind of looked at me and i said well would you take that medication if uh if melissa was here and he got a big smile because he really liked you, Melissa. He really did. Oh, yeah. So I stepped back and I said, uh, Officer Melissa, um, he said he'll take his medication if you can come down here and give it to him. And you <laughs> did not hesitate. You said, inmate so-and-so can take that medication and shove it up his ass. Yep. <laughs> and I looked at him and he kind of got like this kind of like weird smile and he raised his eyebrows. And then with the one hand that still worked, he took his jumpsuit off and then he took that ibuprofen. He put it on the end of his thumb and right in front of me, he pushed that <laughs> ibuprofen right up his ass. So you know, that's, that's I, one way to take it, I guess. Uh, mission accomplished. Absolutely. Yeah. They, so they, I got, we're a great team. <laughs> yes. I got on the radio and I said, Hey, control. Just so you know, uh, inmate so-and-so has ingested their medication. <laughs> so, you know, another good day at Olympus. That was yeah. great. Now, yeah. I don't know well, if you know well this. Well done job. I don't know if you remember, there was another officer that we worked with for a short period of time. This person went on to work, I think, adult probation and parole. I remember <laughs> this inmate was, <laughs> do you know the story I'm telling? <laughs> I do. Okay, if, if so it's what I'm thinking of, absolutely. Sometimes this officer had a different management plan than the rest of us. She had this inmate cuffed in front, and the guy is disabled. He, you know, he can only hobble so fast, but he had to be restrained in the front because his arms were all fucked up. And we were in Baker section. Yes, he had, the lead, the he, had, he had the lead role in Jurassic Park, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he sure did. And so he's cuffed, and then the leash is on the cuffs in front. If I remember correctly, he's on the floor. He's not a threat. Tony and I had escorted him, and he lunged at Tony. And Tony just stood there and looked, and he went, bam, right on the floor <laughs> because he's got shackles on the cuffs and then the leash. He's not a threat. He tried to attack Tony, but that wasn't going to end well. So he's right. on the floor. He's not a threat. Let's have medical come and check him. And this other officer comes in and leans over him <laughs> and he reaches up and he sees boobies. <laughs> right. So he starts playing with those boobies. <laughs> and, <laughs> and Tony and I are like, why the fuck would you do that? <laughs> right. And, and, you know, and you look at the inmate and he's got this big fucking smile. He hasn't felt boobies in years. If he, yeah. Probably since he breastfed off his mom. <laughs> but he's squeezing her tits. And she's like, dwarf, dwarf, please help me. I'm like, stand up and fucking walk away. What are you doing? Why, right. why'd Get you put him. your boobs in his face? 
Fuck. Oh my gosh, that was epic. <laughs> yeah, it was it was epic until you're thinking, how am I gonna write this up? Or how is this report <laughs> gonna pan out? Because management's gonna say, Why did you let her put her boobs in his face? <laughs> Why I did didn't... we let her? Yeah. Right. <laughs> I would have advised against it. Uh, absolutely. Yeah. He... <laughs> but that same individual was in was in cell one of a section on the top bunk when there were still two bunks bolted to the wall. Mm-hmm. Tony and I had gone in and he was standing, believe it or not, on the top bunk. We're like, what are you fucking doing now? I'm going to jump. You're not going <laughs> to jump. Get off the fucking bunk. You're going to fall and you're going to get hurt. I'm going to jump. You're not going to fu- get down now, you dumb motherfucker. I'm going to jump. No, you're not. Get down before you hurt yourself. Fuck it, whatever. We walk away, and it sounds like a 200-pound bag of concrete slamming on the floor. Yep. Tony and I look at each other like, what the fuck? We go back to the cell. There he is on the floor screaming, help, help. Yep. And we're like, oh, fuck. Oh, gosh. I think he broke an ankle or two ankles. I don't know. He broke something on that fall. Oh my gosh. Those were good times. Though. Those were, Those good, were times. good times. A section was pretty intense sometimes. I, I don't know if you remember the story. Working in the A section, there was a particular inmate that every single time we would go to his cell to take him out for a shower or had to bring him out for some reason, he would fight us every single time. The second we put our hands on him, he'd start to fight. Uh, not not very hygienic, I guess. And so his cell, <laughs> extremely vile, feces and urine and sweat and jizz from floor to ceiling because he spent <sighs> hours just standing in the middle of his cell, jacking off and spanking himself to the point where he had bruises up and down his backs of his thighs. It was absolutely horrible. Well, so we're in the section. We'd pulled him out, and two officers sometimes have to remain in the section. I'm I'm in the section with another officer. His cell is open. The smell is just absolutely vile. And I'm dry heaving. The other officer that I'm with is dry heaving. And so <laughs> I thought, you know what? Let's let's play a little game. I'm like, hey, I'll give you a uh, hundred bucks if you go in and uh, lay on this inmate's cell for 15 seconds. <laughs> And they didn't believe me. And I'm like, oh, absolutely. You know, let's let's see how uh, how gutsy you are. And so I whip out my hundred bucks that I had in my wallet. And this officer proceeds to enter the cell as they're they're trying not to vomit as they go in. And I, I, I couldn't even believe that they were even attempting this. And so I'm like, if you're stupid enough to do this, then I've got my hand on my mic and my radio because the second they're in, I'm shutting this door on them. And they're going to get this full effect of of this. I'm going to get my hundred bucks worth, right? So the minute they walk in, and all I said was to lay on the bunk. They walk in and immediately lays on the bunk and grab the blanket and covered themselves with the blanket. So as, right. As I'm trying not to dry, even telling control, close the door, close the door. Cause by then this person is absolutely almost vomiting everywhere. We get the door closed and they're in there. You fuckers open this door. She's pounding and pounding and pounding. And you know, of course we're all laughing because like, why would you cover yourself? Because now your uniform is completely white with whatever was on that blanket. And the minute the door uh-huh. opens, they run to the janitor's closet and start vomiting in the closet. <laughs> because of this individual we're talking about, just so that our audience has a understanding of like what this person was like, he would never talk to me. And if it was, it would be like one word. Yeah. He would just I... stand there and stare at you. But you know when you go and you visit a farm for the first time and you see like a horse and it just stands there and shit comes out of it and drops? Mm-hmm. That's him. Because oh, absolutely. He, he, would, he would put his underwear out of the cupboard of the shower and you'd see a big, a big adult-sized poop yep. just pinched uh. in the underwear. <laughs> and you would have to prompt him because he'll just stand in the shower fully dressed. You had to tell him. You need to undress. You need to put your dirty clothes, and they are fucking dirty. You need to put them out in the laundry basket. Go ahead. Give me your poop. 
Get that yep. one, that big one, the log there on the floor. Put it out. <laughs> because you had to tell him everything to do, and he would just stare at you. Yeah, yeah. It had like to be a very farm detailed, man. Yep, very detailed instructions. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, multiple times. And, I mean, I had to look away. Thank God I promoted to sergeant, because then it was somebody else's responsibility. It's like, hey, this person needs a shower. You need to go in. It's like, oh, man. <laughs> But yeah, showers. Do you remember the one guy? And I think he was Latino. He had the most fascinating way of masturbating because he didn't have a big penis. So he would masturbate like he was smoking a cigarette. It was, he would put his cock between those two fingers like you're holding a cigarette and just go back and forth. And he would go all day long, you know. And I would do the cue checks and I walked through the cells and I'm like, I would see that he's jacking off and I would call control. Hey, do you have a visual on this guy? It's just to make the officer inside the control room look up because they right. didn't want to see that shit. Right. <laughs> yes, he's fine. The wolf. Yep. He's fine. He's smoking a cigarette again. Oh my gosh. I don't remember that inmate. Oh, oh I remember God. him. Yeah. Uh, yeah. My God. That is awesome. That I mean, that is probably one of the details of of you know as we as we talk about prison and the many people that you have talked about or and and talked to that you know it's too bad that we're not on this uh, smell-o-vision podcast because <laughs> the some sometimes there was days that you had a hard time keeping down your lunch <laughs> this is the best way to explain working in a prison in regards to odor there was times where you would get off shift, you'd go home, and you could smell it in your uniform. Mm -hmm. It was such a musky, dirty smell. Oh. There was there was a one kid. He was actually a, very easy to talk to. Um, he was not the smartest. He was a little bit low functioning, but he was very easy to manage. And I remember he had some issue with some other guy in Baker section. And this particular inmate was young, blonde hair, and he liked car magazines. Does that ring a bell? Hmm. I remember, and this is one of those situations where you start to get tunnel vision, Melissa, and I know you know the feeling, but he was really upset, and it's like, look, why don't you go take a timeout, go sit in your cell, and he went into his cell, and he was really triggered. I, I'd forgotten the details about what somebody else had said to him, but they had made fun of him, or they had sexually proposition him or, or something, but it wasn't to the level where we need to separate him. And it's not a pre-incident. It's nothing like that. But this kid was very upset and he goes back to his cell. He starts acting out and I go up to the window and he's sitting there and he takes his pin and he's so mad. He just starts stabbing his leg. They had the, the white uniforms in Baker section. Mm -hmm. And every time that that pin would pierce his leg, you'd see a blot of blood. Ugh. So he was actually stabbing himself enough to blot. I mean, he wasn't like guts hanging out, but it was definitely one of those things where he was stabbing like 10 times in a row. And I dropped the cuff port to talk to him to try to get him to stop until I could get enough people in there to assist me to get this guy out and down to medical to see what they had to do with him. It's one of those situations where it's like, you need to act fast because... This is going to escalate. Yeah, absolutely. That's a absolutely. prime example of Olympus. Yeah. Many, many days of that just constant over and over and over and over again. You're just trying to trying to put out fires. And and some of the, the guys in there were, I mean, even though they were pretty mentally ill, quite comical. You know? The, oh, yeah. Walking around with the um, aluminum foil hats, you know, and things like that. that and we would... <laughs> <laughs> oh my God! I forgot about him. Do you remember that? And he was always talking uh, yes, to the little blinking I do. lights, little blinking he lights was, in the ceiling. What did he do as an occupation? Was he an airline pilot? Maybe. Oh I, my gosh! I sometimes I try not to to get into what they did because at the time I really <laughs> didn't. But those are just hilarious. Or the defender with the uh, colostomy bag. We've talked about him for sure. Yeah. You know, because he had taken his glue as colostomy glue mm -hmm. and rubbed it all in his hair because he thought that would create dreadlocks. <laughs> yes. 
for days he had it in his in his yeah. beard and his mustache. It was just horrible. Were you there in in medical down there in the, in the nurses station when they did the irrigation of those older, I won't say catatonic, but those older offenders that were getting to the point where they couldn't take care of themselves and they had to irrigate their ears for earwax. Yes, I do remember that. And there's one very popular individual, and I'm telling you, I'm going to gag. Just, fucking, <laughs> just telling the story is going to make me fucking vomit, Melissa. <laughs> I'm going to I'm gonna try to tell the story. <laughs> they had they had one of those one of those plastic. <laughs> God damn, man! That I'm trying not to visualize it. But I'm trying to be descriptive for our audience. <laughs> they have one of those plastic containers, those med <laughs> medical trays. <laughs> oh my god! So the oh my god, the, the nurse had like a, a like some type of like water spigot or specialized tool that shoots <laughs> water, like a, a water. Uh, uh, what are they called for your teeth? But it, it wasn't that strong. Yeah, um, like like a, a syringe, a, a, a plastic syringe. It, but it shoots water, and they would shoot it into the <sighs> ear to loosen ew, this wax, <laughs> and the wax would come out. And I mean, like we're talking the size of like a lima bean, right? And, and some of them and... had, some of them were growing hair. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I'm gonna vomit. <laughs> My God, yeah. I just I've never like seriously like. I mean, uh, like, oh my God, a Yankee Doodle Candle Company has nothing on these guys. <laughs> Jesus Christ. How does a human being produce that much wax? Right. <laughs> I, it's, oh, anyways, we're moving uh, on from that story. I just remember that pan and uh, all these, all these balls of wax, these kidney bean shaped, hairy balls of wax. I'm like, uh, I don't think that guy's heard anything for like nine years. <laughs> so much fucking wax. That was really bad. Yeah. Were you ever in there with the guy with the colostomy bag? Were you ever in there when they belched his his stoma? Oh yes. <laughs> yes. Oh my god. Uh, and if the one now, the one thing uh, as as you're dry heaving, I can visualize that day, but it's the smell that usually gets me. <laughs> The, the sight of it's not so bad. And, mm -hmm. and you know, I can do vomit all day long. That does not bother me. But the smell of shit cannot, even my own children. My, my wife is, she can't handle vomit and I can't handle shit. We're, we're a great team when our kids are sick. It's like, <laughs> which, whichever end it's going to be, if it's, if it's bottom, you got it. If it's top, it's me. Okay. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, vomit's, <laughs> of course, nasty, but it's nothing like that other end. Oh, my gosh. Nothing. You know. Well, and I, I don't know if I ever told you, I had this friend in Utah, and he used to always make the joke. Could you imagine what a gay guy's bedroom must smell like? It must smell oh, like ass. <laughs> That's how I came out to him. I'm like, hey, I got to tell you something. Come here. I want to show you my bedroom. I said, does it smell like ass? And he was confused. He had forgotten what he said. Oh, and I gotcha. said, well, I'm gay, but it doesn't smell like ass. <laughs> and that's how I came out to that guy. And he I, turns around and runs. Well, he's like, is he going to seduce me? Has he got chloroform on a rag? I mean, <laughs> right. Fuck, doesn't you know, smell listen, like ass yet. <laughs> you don't Come look here. like Ricky Martin. You're off the hook, bud. Okay. Just you relax. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Speaking of um, feces, I think there's another story that I, we've talked about on another podcast, mm. and there's somebody that works in a library that's kind of a fan of one of my favorite stories of you. Uh, yeah. And we, we, <laughs> Poofinga! I, I knew oh you were going to bring that up. Oh. <laughs> Officer Bull, oh please God. help me. I've got Poofinga. <laughs> Tell me in graphic detail <sighs> without driving we know my weakness is <sighs> earwax so we have this inmate that was very well known throughout the whole prison he's somewhat of i won't say an urban legend but he he's definitely a legend definitely and, a um, legend and so he had gotten constipated and took care of it on <sighs> his own but didn't couldn't and he needed your help 
and you lend them a hand, right? <laughs> well, well, did I get that? Did I get no, that story I right? The details are a little, a little off, but uh, <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm trying to get myself to even muster the story. It was so bad. Oh, oh my gosh! Yeah, the one of the first times that I literally vomited at work was was this particular inmate because everybody knew that he was having some constipation issues and he was in the medical cell for a reason and I get tasked with going down to cuff him up to bring him into a section well a section was it was already bad enough in there with a few other individuals that were having the same issue um but as I go down to medical as soon as I hit the door the smell just Hits me in the in the in the face. Sorry. Now I'm gonna hold this back. <laughs> oh my gosh! I cover my face with my uniform, thinking I can get through this. And as I walk to his cell, he's standing at the door. Where are we going? Where are we going? I'm like, what are you doing in there? He's just like, I think I did it. I think I got it all. I open the cuff port because I tell him we're gonna move to A section. And the smell is just even worse. I'm <laughs> the same as you, trying Ugh. not to vomit. And he's, what is the matter with you, Sergeant Moore, is what he'd call me. And I'm like, what are you doing in there? My God. And like, come on, cuff up. You need to, we're going to move you to A section. And he sticks his hands out the cuff port and they are just oh. covered every finger in shit. <laughs> And they're underneath the fingernails. Under the, really oh my god, big, it is horrible. Grainy corn. <laughs> Black, disgusting. And he's let's go. No, wash your hands. Oh my god. Oh. The fuck are you doing? And so he he pulls his hands back and just leans over the toilet and just gives him a, a little wiggle in the water. And then <laughs> he to put his hands back out the cuff for it. Uh, oh, I imagine God. the water dripping off of his fingertips oh. when it hit the concrete. It was brown. And that's where you and Tony come in because you see me moving this individual down the hallway with one hand as far away as I could possibly go, dry heaving all the way down, laughing. And you, <laughs> oh my gosh. But the minute I got to the section and let go of him, I was over. <laughs> you, you threw up. You, you really oh, threw up? Bad. Yes. Ugh. <laughs> There are times that you're not proud of what you did, but it just seemed like there was an opportunity to get a laugh. The individual that we're talking about, he could be very manic and he was abusive sometimes. Other times he would cry. Other times he would call you a Mormon cocksucker and cuss you out. He was just a roller coaster if he didn't have his... Um, Depakote, liquid Depakote. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, so he was in the men's cell and he was in cell one and he would get a PM box. You know, the inmates get three meals a day, but then certain medical issues, whether you're like diabetic or hypoglycemic, you get this additional meal, this box. Mm -hmm. And it's nothing very exciting, but it's a bartering tool for inmates. So you've got like an orange in there or a piece of fruit. You have a couple slices of bread maybe some like salad, a bag of chips or a cookie or something pretty mm -hmm. basic. So he got one and he was being a dick. So I took everything out of the box lunch and I just left the little teeny mustard pack. In it. <laughs> <laughs> I open up the cuff port and I, I slide the box into the cuff port and he takes it. And as soon as he takes it, Melissa, he goes, I don't know. This is really light. <laughs> And I'm like, we're about to get fireworks. So he, as soon as he opens up the lid, he sees it's just a mustard packet. He goes, ah! <laughs> Jesus Christ, fuck. Okay, look, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Here's the rest of your stuff. Here's your bologna. Here's your orange. You get two bags of chips because you're a really nice guy. And then he immediately calmed right down. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But that's one of the situations where it's like, uh, are you working in the right building? Because you, know, you really shouldn't do that. Right. You had to. That that was our that was our relief. We knew which ones we could do that with. 
that particular inmate was definitely one because we're kind of kind of the same story that we had with him. He was angry at something and he was in the intake cell back where that was the only cell. Uh-huh. The only cell in the room was, was where they do intakes. And we had gone back there and he was pissed off or whatever. And of course we were all in one of those moods and just fucking around with him. And he wanted us to call SWAT. We wanted him to do something for some reason, and we told him, no, we're going to call SWAT. He just kept saying, come on, bring bring those motherfuckers in here. Come on, let's do this. You know, come on, well, I'll take you all on. And we're like, the goon squad. The goon squad, yeah, that's exactly what he would say. And so we <laughs> went around the corner and just put on the, our riot helmets, just the helmets, nothing else. It was we're all giggling, and we go to a cell, and we're we have the shield in front of us with our helmets on, and we're like, all right. You need to cuff up. He's, no, come in here, motherfuckers. You need to come get me. And we're laughing hysterically and we're slamming our shield on his door. And you need to cuff up right now. Turn around and cuff up. So he turns around and we tell him, you put your hands on the back of your head, interlock your fingers. And so he finally does it. And we just went away. <laughs> we, get him, wow. we get him locked in his fingers behind his head and we take off. <laughs> And wow. we're in the control room as we're laughing because now we're watching the cameras. <laughs> this fucker stood there for probably 20 minutes just screaming, not looking at the door. When are you coming? Come on, fuckers. And we're in the control room laughing our asses off. And he's finally realizing that no one's there and turning around like and surprised that we're all gone. <laughs> as he, he looks out the window. Oh, my gosh. For him on days, you could certainly do that with. but. Uh, some good times. Uh, Sonny had talked about him extensively, I think, in one of the episodes. He was mm-hmm. he was a character. You know, there was just certain days where you go into work, and if you're tired, you didn't get enough sleep, and it's like, you got to deal with that guy. He, he became exhausting. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Oh, Sergeant Moore, Sergeant Moore, am I going to die in prison? You probably will. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> He'd say, I didn't rape her. She She didn't say no. She was dead. <laughs> How could she say well, no? <laughs> You know, it's interesting as we're talking about that individual, because I read his PSI, his pre-sentence investigation report, and there was like this urban legend that he had killed his landlady, kept her body in a freezer, and then would thaw her out and have sex with her and drive around with the corpse. And so I, I read the police report and it had like, I mean, it was a very old case, but her the sketch of like her body in the doorway of the apartment. She was dead, but they could not determine whether or not she'd been sexually assaulted. Back then, they didn't have the forensics that they do now. Right. But her underwear was around her ankle, but they couldn't determine whether or not she'd been sexually assaulted. Mm. I'm sure that like if I'd gotten into it with them, it's like, tell the truth. You couldn't even get it up. Yeah. You know, here you have this woman, she's spread eagle, she's there for you, and you fucking couldn't even get it up, could you, you motherfucker? <laughs> you can't even get hard. Yep. But, you know, but, uh. <laughs> he uh, he created a lot of memories. I do feel bad for him. He, he's pretty severe. He had a history of being very, very intelligent and writing some good grievances, and his his grievances, I guess, were intelligently written at one time. Yeah. And I guess the department had to kind of go back and either compensate him or recognize that he was correct, that they had messed up. Yeah. So. Yeah. I, I, he, he definitely was a brilliant man. Just, he was. Just too he much. Was. Past but, that, I mean, that when spectrum. He, but he also really loved gay sex. <laughs> and he told me, he said, the wolf, I'm not homosexual. I'm not bisexual. I'm trisexual. I'll try anything. <laughs> That's what he told me. That was his quote. Oh, my gosh. He was a character. Yep. And if you're in a good mood, he was enjoyable most of the time. He had a, a partner in, in prison. And uh, we had him in a section. I don't know if that's the same individual that he was given a blowjob through the bars over in Wasatch that Sonny had talked about, where they, they couldn't separate him. Like, he, they got caught in... And Ed was just grabbing the guy's butt cheeks and would not stop sucking the guy right through the bars <laughs> years before. Yeah. You know, I mean, I would have been there and I'd be like, oh man, that's kind of hot. But, <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can't uh, believe that we're, we're already out of time, Melissa. Oh my gosh, we are. 
Um, you got to come back and be back on the uh, the Gay Florida Man podcast. Will you promise me that you'll come back on? I I Absolutely. hope you had a good time. I I did have a great time. It was fun going down memory lane. I'm glad I got to see you. You're going to have to come back on because we have so many more stories to talk about. Oh, absolutely. About. We, we will never run out of stories. <laughs> no, we sure won't. I got to tell you, Melissa, I love you. You are one of the most understanding, compassionate people I've ever met. Going through such a hard, difficult challenge of accepting myself and who I am and accepting my homosexuality. And you were there and you were probably one of the best things that happened in my life. Oh, thank you. And I really appreciate you and I love you. And I'm so glad I got to see you last week. So. Absolutely. I'm the same way. Same way. Especially when we talked this morning. I really do cherish our friendship, our stories. We said we're we're always gonna have those. And yeah, you mean you were such a huge part of my life that you know I, I feel the same way. I, I love you guys so much. And the only difference between us is really on on how you can be attracted to something that looks like the exit wound of a shotgun blast. <laughs> I've never understood that. I I just like a cock and you like all that other <laughs> stuff, you know. Those weren't meant to go in your mouth, the wolf. <laughs> no. Mm, I don't know. I tell you, I've been with a woman once and I've never gone back to Arby's since. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what it is. Oh, Wiener Schnitzel. Wiener mm-hmm. Schnitzel has a place in my heart, Melissa. You know that that's there's someone for everyone. To exactly, exactly. <laughs> Everybody, uh, I'm going to end this podcast with the same thing I tell you every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. Good night, everybody. <laughs> <laughs>